0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Friends, this is a reading from the book of Lamentations, beginning with chapter 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. For these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Rise, cry out in the night, at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him, for the lives of your children who faint for hunger are at the head of every street. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. And Lord, we pray that now as we gather around your word, you would please come speak to us through it and by the power of your spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Wes, thank you so much for that introduction. Uh, I want to bring you greetings in Jesus from St. Peter's over in Mountain Brook. It's great to see some of you from St. Peter's here this morning, as he was just sh- saying a moment ago. Um, I've been aware of the Advent for some time. First, when my wife Lauren and I came about two years ago after uh, living in Houston for the last three years, and a mutual friend of Andrew's and I connected us, and I've gotten to know Andrew for the last two years, and it's been great to develop a friendship with him and to be a co-laborer in the gospel here in Birmingham. I also have known about the Advent for some time in that uh, I was— just a couple years behind Andrew at the University of Virginia, and the, the gentleman that mentored me and encouraged me to step into ordained ministry was a man by the name of the Reverend Paul Walker that some of you all might know here. And if, if it weren't for Paul, uh, I wouldn't be wearing one of these, and I wouldn't be standing here in this pulpit or probably in any pulpit anywhere. So I'm, I'm very grateful to him, and again, it's a great privilege to be able to be here uh, this afternoon. Yesterday over at St. Peter's, uh, we finished up a series that we've been in for the last five weeks in the book of Lamentations. And I think if you were to talk to some of our members that are here this morning about our experience in that, they would say that this has been really helpful for us in that this is a book that obviously is filled about grief. And if there's ever been a time in which we've been thinking about grief recently, it's, it's been this year. Of course, on one on one hand, we're all experiencing that just in everyday life. I know in our own church family, just everyday in the life of any church, there are reasons to be experiencing grief. And then on top of that, there's everything that we've been experiencing with this bizarre season of COVID. And so what we're going to do just for these next couple of minutes in lamentations is we're going to open this up and we're going to see what insights does this book have for us on the nature of grieving and mourning. And one thing that we're going to see, and I'm encouraged uh, that we'll be seeing this together as we open it up, is that Christians, we see, don't have to feel guilty for feeling low. And we don't have to feel guilty for feeling low over extended periods of time, especially when we've gone through very difficult things. Particularly, among other reasons, when it comes to the grieving of our sin and the consequences of our sin. That's one of the things that we're especially conscious of during the season of Lent. So it's appropriate to feel our grief. And we're also going to see it's totally appropriate. In fact, it's necessary to be able to express our grief. So everybody has got to grieve in their own ways. And for some of us, that might be tears, might be prayers, might be a song, might be even just be silence. We've all got to have our own chance to do that. So what we're going to do now is as we open this, we're going to be looking at Uh, a bit of Lamentations 1 and 2, particularly through the image that we see, a very common one that goes throughout the book, and that's the image of tears. We read a lot about the tears of the people of God that were still in Jerusalem at this time. So so two parts, we're going to look at this in very briefly, just for the next few minutes. First, we're going to look at the reason for these people's tears. And then secondly, we're going to look at the flow of their tears. So just the degree of their outpouring of mourning. And then when we do that, what we're going to do is just finish this up and by asking, based on these things, what does it look like for us to process our own experiences of grief and maybe come alongside those that we're close with that are also grieving? So first, just for a second, let's look at the reason for their tears. You, if you've studied Lamentations before, you might know that we're coming to this book in the biblical story where God's people are finally being judged for their waywardness. So God had established a relationship with his people. He had um, defined a, a, what's called a covenant with them and, and talked about what it looked like for him to be their God and they to be his people. And we find over and over again in the Old Testament, in the historical books, they're not holding up their end of the bargain. And so what starts happening? God starts reminding his people of that. He starts sending prophets and, and they're reminding the people of God Will you turn back? If you'll just turn back, he will forgive you, and they won't. And so finally, he does judge them. And we know historically in 586 BC, he shows his judgment on them by sending the, in the, Babylon, the Babylonians into Jerusalem, and it changes everything for that city. Jerusalem is leveled, it's destroyed, the temple's destroyed. And we pick up on this vision. This, this picture for us is painted in the first chapter in verse 1, if you'll listen. Again, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she's become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. Have you ever seen one of those pictures from one of the towns or the cities, whether it maybe be in England or in Europe at the end of World War II, and, and some of these cities were just absolutely devastated? They're just completely flattened. There's not one stone or one brick sitting on top of another one. That's the image that we're getting here of Jerusalem. It used to be a thriving city. Now it's in ruins. And as if the physical destruction wasn't enough, you keep reading in Lamentations, and it just continues to paint this picture as more and more grim. So in chapter 1, verse 11, we start reading about the people trading their best possessions for food. Some of us have family heirlooms or prized possessions on our own homes, maybe. Can you imagine having to trade something that you've had in your family for a century just to get a little loaf of bread? And as if that's not enough, we're reading about the loved ones that they've lost. So chapter 2, verse 21. In the dust of the streets lay the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. So the city that they knew, gone. Their loved ones, gone. Either deported or they've passed away. Their way of life, their former way of life, gone. And we can imagine they're all probably wondering the same thing that we tend to wonder when we're going through experiences of extraordinary grief or suffering, which is, how can this be? How? In fact, the the name of the book, Lamentations, comes from the Hebrew word for that word. How? People are crying out, how, God, how is this happening? And on one hand, they're saying that again and again. And at the same time, they know the answer. We know the answer as readers. It's because the judgment of God. So that's the first thing to notice as we look at that this afternoon. The reason for their tears God's right judgment over them. Second, the flow of their tears. So we know the reason that they're mourning. And now let's just take a second and we're going to look at the degree of their mourning or, or the degree of this outpouring. Because if when you look at that closely, this starts to show us some really helpful things. I'm going to look at chapter one. Verse 16, as we start to think about the language that's being used by the author here about the amount of tears that are being shed. This is, again, verse 16. For these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears. Chapter 2, verse 11. My eyes are spent with weeping, my stomach churns. Or chapter 3, verse 48. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. So think about how intense this language is. This is not talking about someone just whose eyes are watering up so much that a, a single tear falls down their cheek. We are talking about people that are having a, a physical reaction. There is almost a, a a weeping that's the kind of hyperventilating sobbing kind of uncontrollable grieving where you you just feel it throughout your whole body. I don't know if you've ever had to to walk through something in life that's resulted in that kind of grieving. It's definitely a reality. Now, what we're going to do just for a second is we're going to slow down and we're going to look at this closely because if we're not careful, there's something really important about what's going on here. A statement being made in these verses about the nature of grief that we don't want to miss and that's this. Notice, as the author's speaking on behalf of the people here, and that's really what's going on, by the way, when you start out here Lamentations. It's as if the author is speaking on behalf of the people, putting the people's grief into words. Did you notice, if the author is Jeremiah, which some scholars believe is possible, it's it's not explicitly stated in the book, but if it's Jeremiah, think about this. Jeremiah is a man of God. Jeremiah is God's man. The first chapter of Jeremiah, God saying to Jeremiah, I formed you in the womb before you were born. I knew you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So so Jeremiah was this man appointed to speak on behalf of God to the people. Now we're getting to a time where it almost seems like if it's him, Jeremiah is speaking on behalf of the people back to God. He's shepherding them in the midst of their mourning. And, And notice At no point does ever Jeremiah look at them and say, y'all, y'all got to stop. Enough. We're the people of God. We don't do this. He never says that. What does he do? It's as if he or this author is crying almost for them. You ever been in a situation that was so dark where you're sitting with someone out and you've run out of tears and what you need is actually someone to sit and cry for you? That's what seems to be going on here. Again, never are the people chastised or told they're doing wrong because of their mourning. And if that's true, one of the things that we're starting to see, this picture that emerges in the scriptures, is that our mourning is not wrong. The Bible legitimizes our mourning. And we see that in Lamentations in the Old Testament. I mean, it's, it's throughout all the Old Testament, in the Psalms and other places. We know that continues when you step into the New Testament because you see it in the Gospels. You, you see the Gospels affirming the legitimacy of weeping. Go to John 11 and think about Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. And he's there, and he's staring death in the face. He's looking at all these people that are grieving And then rather than telling them to be quiet, or rather than keeping the stiff uh, stiff upper lip, what does Jesus do? It says in verse 35, he weeps. He weeps. Some translations say he bursts into tears. And when that happens, we've got to come to one of two conclusions about the nature of tears in the Bible. Specifically this situation, you've either got to think, okay, tears are bad. And somehow Jesus is messed up. You know, he couldn't keep it together in the way that he was supposed to. And he somehow has disappointed his father and violated his father's will. If you read the rest of the Gospels, you know that's not possible. We've either got to come to that conclusion or we have to to come to the conclusion that when you look at the most faithful human being that ever lived, experiencing loss, there are some situations that are so painful and so dark that the most holy way that we can respond is with tears. That's what he's showing us as we look ahead to the New Testament. Grief does not have to be inappropriate. Okay? It's, it's not wrong to feel it. In many situations, it's a godly thing to feel. And so having seen that, now, having seen these two things in, in, in Lamentations and then looking forward and ahead to the life of Jesus and in the New Testament, what does this show us about our own experiences with this? What does this show us about our own experiences with grief? Or, or maybe not just how we process it, but how do we come alongside the people around us in our lives that are grieving? Just two things I want to put forward that this shows us. One, as we've already really been saying, sorrow doesn't have to be sinful, sorrow is not always sinful. There are many godly reasons that we might feel low, and that we might feel low for some extended period of time. One of the most important ones being, besides grieving our sin, which is a very legitimate reason to feel low, is the loss of a good thing given to us by God. And that might be the loss of good health, which could leave us feeling low, It might be the loss of a a meaningful job that we loved that helped us provide for our family. That could leave us feeling low. Of course, maybe the worst, the the loss of a friend or a family member. I shared with our congregation recently, my grandmother uh, ran away at 16 and got married to my grandfather. They were married for over 60 years before he passed away. And I think of her sorrow when he passed as a very godly sorrow. And if that's true that we don't have to (laughs) feel ashamed or guilty for our grief, especially the grief for the things that God's given us. One of the things that just reminds us is that there is space in the Christian life for not always feeling like we've got it all together, for for not necessarily looking chipper. We, We have reason when necessary and when we need to go before God and to mourn. And when we do that, it is not a demonstration that we don't trust God. No matter what we might be told sometimes, he is right there with us. But then on top of that, knowing that there are times where we're all going to feel low, we've got to find a way to express our grief. As we watch the people in Jerusalem that are expressing theirs, We've got to find a way to express it. One of the most, and this this really applies especially to the way that we relate to the people around us. One of the things that can happen if we're not careful unintentionally is sometimes we have a friend going through something really hard, and the way that we respond robs them of their opportunity to grieve. And and this can happen in, in two ways. On one hand, some of you have experienced this. Uh, we have a friend that goes through something really hard. And we're just at a loss for words. And we don't know what to say. And we're afraid if I do reach out to them, A, am I going to kind of invade their space in this tender moment? Maybe I'm going to hold off on that for right now. You know, Or B, am I going to say something really dumb? You ever been afraid of that you're going to do something like that? I, I, I'm afraid of doing that all the time as a pastor. We can have all the right intentions... But sometimes we disengage, and when we disengage, the worst thing that could happen to that person in the midst of their suffering is what occurs, which is they end up being left lonely in their suffering. So we've got to watch the temptation we might naturally have, even for the best reasons to disengage. We've also got to be careful about the way that we engage. So we we need to make sure that we engage fully, and here's what I mean by that. Sometimes, rather than um, avoiding someone, we spend time with them And we will talk to them, but we will talk to them about everything in their life, the weather, politics, everything except the thing that they're going through at that moment because we don't know if we can go there. And we're afraid what might happen when we go there. We don't want them to hurt even more because of something that we said. It's totally understandable. And at the same time, it's not surprising when that person feels like, everyone else in my life, they keep talking to me, but it's as if everyone else around me has moved on from this thing except me. Don't they know what I'm going through? Don't they know how I feel at this moment? We can't do either one of those two. We, we can't withdraw. We, we can't engage except on the thing that we need to address most and minister in, in prayer and with the Lord's timing to sensitively address. How do we know when to do this? Uh, things well and I'll close how do we avoid making a mistake in this area I just want to say I believe that this is where the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit really matters because one of the things that we can remember when, when someone around us is grieving and when they're going through something none of us might ever imagine even on our worst enemy one of the things that we can do is we can pray Holy Spirit you know what's going on with this person. Please will you show me what they need from me right now? I I don't know because if if we don't pray that, what we're assuming is really that we can either guess it better than what the Holy Spirit can tell us or we can know better by conjecture. Neither of those things is true. And is there any reason that we can imagine the Holy Spirit would not want to answer a prayer like that? So Holy Spirit, what is it? Is it is it space? Maybe it is right now, space. Maybe what that person needs is to be alone by themselves, just with a Bible and with God and not having to engage with anyone for weeks to come. That might be the case. Or is it maybe a meal that's just left on the doorstep? Is it a phone call? Is it a note? Is it maybe just reaching out in person and saying, I want you to know, I haven't forgotten what you're going through. How are you doing right now? We can ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in these things. And so, as we continue following Jesus in the everyday challenges of life that lead to hardship, and especially, again, this bizarre season of grief during COVID, let's be careful not to avoid our grief, but let's, and let's not be ashamed of it, but let's all acknowledge it before the one who gave us tear ducks himself our heavenly father and then let's look to the holy spirit to lead us in ministering to others in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen you've been listening to audio from the cathedral church of the advent If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.